Hey everybody, welcome to the back room. I'm Andy Ostroy. Uh, Jen, can you pass the cranberry sauce, please? Which kind? Um, the kind that doesn't repulse me. Because <laughs> I can't stand it looking jiggle. at it. So, full disclaimer here. Of this show, by the time you hear it, you will have eaten all of your cranberry sauce next Saturday. Because we're taping it a little before Thanksgiving. Because we want to be able to not have to deal with the show over the Thanksgiving Day weekend. Take a little break. Very thankful for the show. But doing it next week during the long weekend would be a little bit of a logistical problem so we're doing it now and uh lo and behold if something you know explodes yeah it's like trump runs off to you know uruguay with a female pianist we'll report that somehow we'll figure out a way to get back on uh and do a special little segment unfortunately uh given the news we just got it doesn't look like he'll be indicted this week no but he's gonna be indicted he's gonna be indicted it's it's gonna happen guaranteed you know so one of the things we wanted to talk about uh, amongst ourselves, since the three of us in this room are Hebes, that's Jews for those of you who don't know what a Hebe is, <laughs> it's an abbreviation for Hebrew, emphasis on the second syllable, brew, Hebrew. We want to talk about Dave Chappelle. Uh, you know, it's maybe old news by now, but anti-Semitism is never old news. It's always relevant. So... I personally have spoken to a lot of my fellow Jews, and none of the people that I spoke with, including myself, were particularly offended by Mr. Chappelle's comments. In fact, I personally thought that one could look at his monologue on Saturday Night Live and kind of think maybe he's actually knocking down the stereotypical anti-Semitic tropes and actually defending Jews. And the reason I say that is because he does talk about, you know, Jews being in Hollywood, a lot of Jews in Hollywood, he says, but there's also a lot of black folks in Ferguson, Missouri, and they don't control shit. So that's number one. Then he described again, you know, people could perhaps easily think that Jews control everything because there's a lot of Jews in Hollywood, but he uses the word delusional. He says, you know, if you want to buy into this delusion that Jews control Hollywood. So, and then just the icing on the cake for me is that he's a, he's a comedian. And he's not just a comedian. He's a comedian who we've come to acknowledge as one who does very controversial humor. And, you know, we know from everyone from Lenny Bruce to George Carlin and Richard Pryor. You know, there's a lot of comedians over the last 50, 60 years who go to places that make us wince doesn't mean they are agreeing with the the problematic subject matter they're just calling it out throwing it out there making some suppositions making you think making you talk and that's what i i thought Chappelle did what do you guys think no doubt that he's brilliant i agree with you very insightful and he gets people to talk about uncomfortable things you know post his uh critique uh I guess what made me more than wince was that when he talked about, uh, come on, Jews, you know, it's not all the black people's fault. Mm-hmm. It was some I'm, I'm paraphrasing. And, and I, I, I thought that was important and relevant and um, uncomfortable and kind of push the boundary verse uh, social commentary. Mm-hmm. It's fair. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it was obviously well executed and he was very funny. There were parts of it that were very funny. But I also thought that it provided, uh, potentially provided some cover for Kanye and Irving, even though 
he went both ways on that. Mm -hmm. I felt like there was some cover provided and I would just read you a quote. Jerry Seinfeld was asked about this. Oh my God. And Maddie came with notes. I came <laughs> with a quote. I, I thought that this was One a good quote because huh? <laughs> he expressed my view about it and he said, and I quote, I did think the comedy was well executed, but I think the subject matter calls for a conversation that I don't think I'd want to have in this venue. Okay. Fair enough. My counter to that. Jane, you filthy slut. <laughs> <laughs> is that's coming from a comedian who I don't think has ever uttered a curse word in his life. That's Jerry Seinfeld. If you, if you know, he, he's funny. He's funny as hell. I was going to say funny as fuck, but <laughs> in honor of Jerry. Who all those people? Um, in, on, in honor of uh, <laughs> He's... To me, and I look, I worship Jerry Seinfeld. I think he is brilliant. And I actually worship worship him in a way because he is so clean. You know, having done stand-up back in the 90s for a bunch of years, albeit not successfully, I want to point that out. I'm not, this is not a brag. I, in fact, it's, I've wasted a lot of time in a comedy club. That's how I, sh I actually should say it. But I do appreciate when a comedian can get a laugh without it being a cheap laugh. And I've seen and been in a club with many comedians who just they go for the the f-bomb because you can make people laugh with that and i've heard seinfeld over the years talk about that like he's brilliant he's old school he's uh he's he has the ability to make people laugh hysterically without doing any of that but that said i'm not sure he's the best arbiter of what is and what isn't offensive or appropriate you know I mean, I just think his perspective is one I would share. That I, I don't think it was by any means anti-Semitic. Actually, the entire piece was not. I do think at this moment in time that it may have stepped over some bounds that are probably helpful to Kanye and Irving, even though that may not have been his intention. Mm -hmm. And I think at this moment, uh, when we know words do matter, uh, we saw what happened after Kanye said what he said. We saw mm -hmm. protests over Los Angeles freeways with horrible signage, with Nazi signage. So maybe now's not quite the time. The line for comedy obviously moves. What mm -hmm. we thought was funny 30 years ago, we wouldn't say mm -hmm. today. We wouldn't make fun of the way Asians speak today and mm -hmm. think that was funny. And we would have 30 years ago that would, we wouldn't have mm -hmm. winced. And my counter to that, Jane... <laughs> Is because I do agree timing is important and maybe it was actually the best timing because it's like he put a pin in that tension. You know, we're seeing anti-Semitism all over the world. We're seeing it in the United States. We're seeing it with Kanye. We're seeing it with Kyrie Irving. It's in sports. It's in comedy. It's people are so, and by people, I mean Jews, Hebes. We're so... You know, everyone, including non-Jews, is so concerned about this rhetoric that we're hearing that maybe it was the perfect time to just sort of let the air out of it a little and point to what, again, what I perceived as him wanting to point out the, the stupidity of it. Just because there's a lot of Jews in Hollywood, Ferguson, Missouri, doesn't mean they control shit. It's a delusion. So that's how I took it. I respect people who see it completely differently. I just didn't think, you know, it's like getting Chris Rock to host the Academy Awards and then getting upset because he's racy. It's like, it's Chris Rock. So given it's Chappelle, that's his way of pointing out the craziness in this world. 
that's one that's one way of looking yeah. at it. Could be that I, I still think the timing probably was not the best timing. It certainly, you know, I wouldn't lose sleep over it. I think mm-hmm. he's a brilliant comedian, and mm-hmm. and he did touch some things that were important to touch. At the same time, at this moment, Jonathan Greenblatt, uh, head of the ADL, tweeted out, you know, this is really not good. Um, that doesn't mean I have to agree with Jonathan mm-hmm. Greenblatt, but I do think that it's this moment you're disinhibiting the crazies even more because they're going to hear what they want to hear. They're going to hear Jews run Hollywood. What's wrong with what Kanye said? That's basically what they keep saying. But that's, not, that's never going to go away. I mean, I know, Chappelle could have done but something we don't totally... need to feed that. And I think that's what Jerry Seinfeld is kind of getting mm-hmm. at. It's like, yeah, he's a brilliant comedian. There's no question. And his timing, everything is perfect. But is this the venue at this time to do this? And, and I, his his um you know last comment that he made said uh, I'm again paraphrasing something to the effect that uh, I'm afraid to see what's going to happen to me, you know what's going to be taken away from me, and that's how it ended. You know that's the well, last. He said thing. whoever they are. But it, okay, I mean, look, you know, this is a I mean, subject it's, that it's boundary pushing. It wasn't. I, I, I didn't feel like you know he was coming out to get the Jews. I just thought it was the Jews. See, the, you, the you two just words said it. that you the can't Jews. say together. You just said it. <laughs> you anti-Semite, you. We're canceling you. How dare you, you say the Jews? Charge. The Jews. No, I look. I mean, I, I, I'll continue to say that I think there's probably an equal number of people who think it was anti-Semitic, as there are people who think he was actually defending the Jews, and that's his genius. I think there's another uh, the way I see it, and I think Jerry Seinfeld sees it, and I, uh, I think his name is Eric Diggins, the media critic for the National John Public Stewart. Radio, and John Stewart differently. I think that it's not that he's anti-Semitic or not anti-Semitic. It's that is he helping people who mm-hmm. are anti-Semitic, and not at all that he is. Right. And there's yeah. a conversation to be had. But he, again, he's a comedian. You know, a comedian can't just talk about, hey, you know, when your kids wake up and they ask you for shit and it bothers you. Like, comedians push the envelope and they make us squirm. But they they talk about heavy shit through the lens of comedy. There's no right or wrong with any of this stuff. That's why I started by saying, like, I asked people, you know, a lot of Jews that I know, and they were like, yeah, I didn't think it was anti-Semitic. I had you, no problem. You also asked this on Twitter. What was the response there? I didn't see them at the time. Um, it was mixed. It was totally mixed. You know, I don't think you're going to get, like, a black and white, no pun intended answer. And I don't think anyone in this room has a black. I don't even think you're 100% the way you feel right now. And I know Jen and I are not 100%. Oh, this is terrible at all. It's just, I think it's good, controversial humor. Got the whole country talking. This should be be the controversy we're talking about instead of uh, the crazy things that are really going on. So before we bring out uh, our our terrific guest, Tim uh, Miller, let's spend a minute or two talking about, are we looking forward to Thanksgiving? The the food? Are we fans of all the food, the Thanksgiving food? I love, I wait all year to have the stuffing. That's my absolute Mm. favorite. And I I don't, for whatever reason, I don't eat it the rest of the year. I'm with you on the stuffing. Love the stuffing. I am totally a traditionalist. Everything that's stuffing, the mashed potatoes, the turkey, and the gravy all together. Cranberry sauce? Cranberry sauce, absolutely. Even when it jiggles? You know, I don't mind that as a traditional cranberry sauce. It's not what I serve or what I make. Mm -hmm. Obviously, no one makes it except for Ocean Spray, I guess. Um, (laughs) They could be a sponsor. Um, uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> but in all Brought seriousness, to you by the cranberry people. <laughs> the cranberry people. No, I, I mean, when I go to someone's house and they have that, or if I go to a diner and order the Thanksgiving special, I'm perfectly happy to have the jiggly cranberry sauce. Okay. I like the relish. I mean, I'll take the homemade. You relish food. the relish. Correct. Wow. I love Dark meat or white meat turkey? Um, Depends who makes it. <laughs> mm, interesting. <laughs> oh, definitely both. You need a combo. Because mm. if the white meat's dry, you know, you have to go for the lemon. But then you got the gravy. How much gravy can one person have? Do you like thick gravy or like that soupy crap that some people make? I like the thick gravy. Yeah. yeah. Come on, of course, the thick gravy. Who gotta likes go. the soupy crap? <laughs> That's just oil. <laughs> so, well, my mother used just flour. <laughs> my mother used to use ketchup as tomato sauce. So you've got to be careful who you're talking to and how they were raised. So yeah. my, my mother also used to use bacon grease as a seasoning. Like, well, bacon like, grease is a good seasoning, actually. Did you start <laughs> not off the way by she saying that you were it. a Jew? No, not the way she... <laughs> <laughs> and um, what other foods that are that are specific to Thanksgiving that we may not have critiqued or destroyed well, here today? I mean, I feel like there's always a controversy about um, sweet potatoes. And some people like the sweet potatoes with the melted marshmallows on top. And Ooh. some people don't. That's a classic dish. The sweet potato Properly mar toasted marshmallows on top, I oh, think, work the best. just fine. The best. We agree completely on that. <laughs> Absolutely not. I knew that was going to be a no. But they are anti-Semitic. Comedy rollback. <laughs> Callback, actually. Rollback. See, this is why I failed comedy. I can't even get the callback reference right. Yeah, no, the, the, the sweet potato marshmallow thing is... That's but the marshmallow has to the be only a little point. bit crispy on top, but not burned. So what are we that thankful? That consistency is so vile. What are we thankful for this year? Oh, thank I'm thankful for my kids are healthy. Mm -hmm. They're thriving. Mm -hmm. I wake up every day and I look forward to coming to work at Radio Free Rhinecliffe and the Epicurean. Cool. And I'm so grateful that my parents are 80 and happy nice. and I'm surrounded by love. And I mean, I'm living my best life. I'm very grateful. Jesus, you can't get better than that. Maddie? Wow, I don't, I don't know. I can't talk <laughs> I'm that. I'm thankful that I, I got to listen to that from Jen because yes. I was so miserable. Until, actually, now I'm more miserable. I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go. I'm thankful for friends and family mm -hmm. and health and, um, and Radio Free Rhinecliff. And, and this show is mm -hmm. really a, a fun to do. Yeah, it is fun. Uh, I got to say I'm thankful just to be alive. I'm thankful to be alive and uh, not to get all political and shit, but we are going to have Tim... Miller on here in a second, but I'm thankful that uh, we're beyond the point where we have to really worry uh, in an existential way about our democracy. Seems like that's in the rear. We have other problems right now politically, but the demise of democracy, I think, thankfully, that's that's beyond us. So I'm really I'm really thankful for that. Uh, thankful for this podcast. It's great. You know, I mean, I love to rant. It's either that or kick the dog. I don't mean that. <laughs> The dog people, I don't mean that. It's a, it's we know a, you love your it's a euphemism. Even the cats. I do. I have two cats. I have two dogs. Actually, I have more than two dogs living with me right now because I have a couple of older kids living with me for, for short term. And a visiting and they have dogs. lynx or a bobcat. And I, and I, yeah. And I just saw, I, I literally, my neighbor videotaped Mustafa on my lawn today. <laughs> It's literally the Lion King in Rhinebeck. I don't know. I'm afraid to go home. <laughs> uh, thankfully, I don't have like an open air Jeep or something. Pick up a steak at the Epicurean to throw in the woods. <laughs> I mean, how are there like mountain lions in Rhinebeck? It's just ridiculous. <laughs> I don't think it's a mountain lion. but it's, It was huge. It, 
you don't want a pet outside at this moment. It's like li- like Wild Kingdom in my at my at my property. Scary. You've seen bears, right? I haven't seen a bear. My daughter Sophie has seen a bear two falls ago. For a while, I wasn't believing her. I still tease her and I go, "You didn't see no bear," because it was when I wasn't there. I said, how come you didn't take a video of it? How come it's not like on your TikTok? But she was like, I was just so scared. And I called my friend Lucy and, you know, she was trying to help me figure out what I should do because bears break into houses and stuff. And I was like, oh, all right. She sounds like she was legitimately terrified. Sounds like she uh, actually did see a bear. But yeah, I mean, the the uh, big cat thing, that's a little scary. Yeah. But uh, let's bring out Tim. Tim Miller is the Bulwark's writer at large and the author of the best-selling book, Why We Did It, a travelogue from the Republican road to hell. He was previously political director for Republican Voters Against Trump, communications director for Jeb Bush 2016, and spokesman for the Republican National Committee in 2012. He is an MSNBC political analyst and host of Not My Party on Snapchat. He has written about politics for Rolling Stone, The Ringer, and Playboy, and most recently, you can see him on Sunday nights on Showtime's The Circus. Tim, welcome into the back room. Good to be with you, man. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, yeah. Love to have you uh, here with us. Appreciate all the work you do, and uh, we'll talk about The Circus in a second. Uh, But before we get uh, going, one of the things we like to do here in the back room is to try to get a window into people's souls. So we have two questions we ask, one at the beginning, one at the end, because we think it sort of illustrates who people are. So the first one is, are you a cat or dog person? Uh-oh. This was a horrible first question for me, Andy. And uh, I just want all the listeners who are about to tune out after they hear my answer to this question uh, to... <laughs> you hate cats and dogs. I hate cats and dogs. Give me a chance. Just give me a chance after you hear this answer. This is a big secret that I try to keep. That you've now outed me uh, to all the listeners because I know how harshly people judge anti-animal folks. I, I, blame my, I blame my mother. I don't, you know, she didn't like animals. Blame mom for everything, by the way. I blame my she mother for everything. Any, yeah, she didn't allow any in the home. And so I think I just grew to, you know, kind of have that same uh, affliction. I do, I, I do, I love children. I'm a big person. I love kids. I like to hang out at the kids' table at parties. But if I go to your house and you have a dog and the dog starts licking me, I immediately start shivering and get very uncomfortable. And my most uncomfortable social setting, I'm just going to admit this, so people now listening to it can know I feel uncomfortable, is when their animal dies. Because, like, I, I'm a very, I've, I'm, an emp- I'm a person filled with empathy, and I just, I want to have empathy for the dead animal, but I, I just, Ooh. I can't get my, I can't get my head there. I, I don't know how. You're so digging sympathy, it. You're digging it I deep, sympathy, man. but no empathy. <laughs> I know. So you've now dug a window into my black soul, which is that it's hard for me to find empathy for the, for the dead pet. Well, for so our I listeners out there, I, I just want to go on record and say that I, I feel bad when your animal dies. I don't, I have nothing to do. I don't agree with Tim. Uh, this is, uh, he doesn't speak for the Backroom podcast. Uh, I want to feel bad. One of the things I want to feel bad, but I don't know how. I just, I, I feel like my words don't. Yeah. Well, I'm you know, you can't, sh- if you don't have the love, it's, you just, you can't fake that. You can't fake that. Yeah. And if a dog yeah. comes over. And I'm really bad at it. We had, uh, uh, we taped an interview with Molly Jung fast, and we were talking about how both of our dogs, like to go in and eat cat shit out of the litter box. So when you talk about like, you know, I don't like when the dog comes and licks my face. Well, odds are they probably just ate a pile of cat shit. So it's perfectly understandable. 
This uh, is a very supportive anecdote of my anti-dog position. Yeah, I, they eat cat shit. And we, then they live in your home. They live in your home after that. Yeah, we like, at the back room. Zoos? I like zoos. I like going to visit animals at the zoo. Good. The back That's room. Nice. They have their own place. <laughs> the back room audience is a big tent, Tim. And we do not want to piss off the animal-hating community. I just want to go on record <laughs> with that. It's like 4% of me. Me, sociopaths, and you know other other Stephen Miller. Did you uh, were you one of those kids that used to torture animals as a kid? <laughs> no, okay, no, I was not an animal torturer. I didn't want to, I didn't like I didn't feel comfortable around them enough to want to torture them. I don't I don't I don't get gain derived pleasure from animals' pain. Not even like I, picking the wings off a fly. No, none of that. No, I'm, I'm not, not suggesting uh, that's no, like a, a, you know, okay. Andy, that. Might, <laughs> And maybe some you were into. I don't know. No, no gay, I never did as that. A little so. prissy, as a little prissy gay boy, I didn't know. I didn't, <laughs> like pulling off an animal's wings required unnecessary dirtying of my hands. Well, they, the the was, people who who it's sort of like the hypocrisy of people who uh, of people who you know torture animals. They there's a, a segment of them that think pulling wings off flies is actually not torture. That, that's like okay, that's just fun thing kids do. Which is kind of crazy. I've never done it. Well, but. I do not. I do not know anything about the subsect of animal torturers like you. So I don't. I've, apparently, well, that's our next uh, next week's read, episode so. is on torturing <laughs> flies. So you can tune in for that. <laughs> it's, the whole episode is going to be dedicated to that. So uh, it'd be very, very, very entertaining. Uh, I want to ask you about uh, the pearls. What's with the pearls? Which yeah, you're not wearing uh, right okay. now. I'm not. Well, it's it's early in the morning on a Saturday <laughs> here. You know, so I wear pearls a lot, but you know, I don't wear them to bed. <laughs> So uh, here's the uh, the answer. You've asked me two embarrassing questions off the top. But I'm just I'm just. I want people to know the know. real Tim Miller. Yeah, and I'm an open book here. Okay, I just I've written the book, and people now that's just what I've decided. No lies. You, you mm -hmm. see, pull behind the curtain with me. Uh, the pearl situation was this. Um, I, I have a, a TikTok habit that I'm a little ashamed of because I understand that I think that TikTok's ruining society and that the Chinese are spying on me. I'm fully aware of that, but I, <laughs> All I true. use the app anyway. I use the app anyway. And I started to notice that there was, there was an emerging trend among kind of the influencer set of, you know, aged whatever high school and college aged boys that they, that some of them started wearing pearls. And hmm. I said to my husband, I was like, they look cool. I was like, these kids look cool doing that. And I said, I bet if I start wearing pearls right now, I can get on the front end of this thing. Because, like, these are the TikTok influencers, right? Uh, and so I asked him last Christmas to get me some pearls for Christmas. He did. I wore them. And uh, it was absolutely correct. I lo Everybody loved it. I was way ahead. The MSNBC crowd, you know, they did not know what to do with that, right? Like, it's a very different demo. <laughs> did you see Tim is wearing TikTok. pearls? Did we ask him about it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're, they're like, what are you talking about, the 18-year-olds on TikTok? I'm promising you, if you were in L.A., they... And so now I get messages. All summer I was getting messages from my friends who were traveling in Europe, like, did you know that all the kids in Rome and, and you know, uh, Athens are wearing pearls now? And I said, yeah, you know, I, was, I was on the trend. You so, started um, all I, that, I, probably. I didn't start it, no. The kids started it. I co-opted it early as an old. I was one of the early olds on the front end, and so... You kind of, uh, uh, they probably hate me because of this, because I'm now bringing their, you know, the thing that they thought was subversive to like their, to their ants that watch MSNBC now. <laughs> so, um, anyway, that is the thing with the pearls. Wow. I, and I think that it's worked for me. I'm, I'm happy with it. I'm sticking with it. It's a good and, look. Um, it's definitely a good yeah. look for you. Yeah. 
Yeah. But I, I want to ask you not to get into the weeds. Signal to everybody that I'm homosexual too, which I like. You know, it's but you like see, this is the bit, thing. It's a way to say that without like wearing like a rainbow flag pin or something. Well, when I, I didn't know you were gay until about two weeks ago, when we first started talking about coming on this podcast. So to me, when I saw the pearls, I was like, "Damn, that's that's pretty bold. That's bold for a straight dude." <laughs> And I was like, maybe I'll start wearing pearls. But the question I want to ask you is, like, there's all kinds, and not to get into the minutia of of pearls, that's that's going to be the episode after the cat shit, dog eating cat shit episode. You've chosen a very specific kind of strand of pearls. Any thought into that? Yeah. Well, I mean, your Uh, husband gave you that and that was it. You didn't. Or it did was you... a gift from my husband. No, I let him choose the mm-hmm. little Mickey Motos. I, I'm, I think we're going to try to go for a new strand this year to kind of mix it up. You know, a new thing for 2023. Like so big TBD ones? On that. I don't think so. I kind of I kind of want to do a strand that has like some just different sized ones. So mm-hmm. it's not like, uh, so it's not completely homogeneous. homogeneous. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to go wherever you're going because I'll fuck that uh, up really no, bad. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so they're not all the same. Mm-hmm. I know how to spell that word, but apparently I don't know how to pronounce <laughs> it. That happens on podcasts sometimes. Um, and uh, and so I think I'm going to go with that. I didn't want the bar. I didn't. I wanted to move away from Barbara Bush pearls. That was kind of my, I was like, I don't. I, I want to kind of allude to the Barbara Bush pearl, but mm-hmm. you don't want to. You don't want to go full, like huge, you know, oversized grandma pearl. I right? think we I could all agree little, that a little subtler than that. I think we can all agree that it's probably true that Barbara Bush shouldn't have gone Barbara Bush with the pearls. <laughs> right? I don't. I disagree <laughs> with that. I thought she looked great. It was a good brand for mm-hmm. her. And um, and I just I wanted to kind of zag a little bit away from that. What if you made a political statement with the pearls? What if you had like just one? set what do you do you call it a set of pearls like what is like if you have 10 different ones what do you say you have 10 strings of pearls okay what if you had one string of pearls that was just blue red blue red blue red like like for unity in america okay i think that the color of the pearl is a pretty key element uh it's in the the name Uh, they're they're always they're always white (laughs) yeah but you can truly be out front on that one (laughs) Yeah, that seems more like kind of a clown. Just get the kid. Just get the kid to paint them. This is what happens when a straight guy starts to starts to dabble in, in jewelry <laughs> advice. Exactly. Okay, I appreciate the yeah. thought. I think you should be copying from me, not take, not me taking advice from you. I'm sure you could give me advice in certain areas, uh, yard work, no you know, cigars, <laughs> anything manly or macho. I can't yeah. give any advice on. Okay. I'm I'm more in your camp actually. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, I want to ask you about. This is a great podcast. Good. We're going to get to the midterms here in like minute 48. What That'll what are those? Great. Did something yeah. just happen politically that was big? No. No, this is good. So, I w- I've always been the kind of person that never really understood how someone gay could be a Republican. And I guess to this day I still I still, you know, the log cabin Republicans I I don't get how someone could support on some level a party that really goes against everything they are as a human being. And so I wanted to just ask you about that, because I know you've obviously you've shifted in your politics and you're, you, you know, you came out and blah, blah, blah. And so, but how does, what was your thinking when you were like full on uh, in that Republican head, electing, helping to elect Republican politicians, you know, consulting with them, like really supporting that whole Republican agenda as a uh, young gay person? Yeah. 
I, we're getting deep into psychology here, so let's get it. We're gonna get onto the. We're gonna get onto the couch. Uh, there are two answers. I think one that really applies to me in particular, which I wrote about in, mm-hmm. in the book. Um, if people want to get really deep inside my brain, uh, they can pick that out. But I'll try to summarize it, and then I think I have another answer for some of the other mm-hmm. the other gay Republicans in my life. Uh, but for me, as a political operative, like the answer was really compartmentalization. Like I, I loved politics. Mm-hmm. I was attracted to, and I, I was a Republican before I really realized I was gay, to be honest. Um, so I was attracted to, uh, as a young person, this is going to sound really dorky, but it's dorky and true. I was attracted to kind of like the free market, free people element of the Republican Party. At that point, the party was very much about mm-hmm. how America is the you know shining city on the hill, greatest mm-hmm. place on earth. Everyone should come here. Like that was the part that attracted me. To mm-hmm. um, and there's kind of a libertarian strain stra- mm-hmm. stra- in that, right? And so, um, you know, by the time I, I dealt with my sexuality, I was already kind of a Republican operative. And so I, I honestly, like this embarrassing, sad answer is that I just, I justified it. I rationalized it. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of like, you know, I, on the one hand, I felt like that the, we being the gays in this case, not to being the Republicans were like winning. Like by the time I was working in politics, mm-hmm. like the right, it was kind of on the wall on the movement towards gay rights. This back, recent backslide is something that I didn't predict that I should have. Um, I, and so that was part of it. You know, you come up with all kinds of silly rationalizations. You know, you'd say things like, well, I mean, Barack Obama, this was true, but not really true. But, you know, like in 08 on my first presidential campaign, you know, Barack Obama wasn't for gay marriage. You know, so like, why am I getting lectured by people about working for John McCain when neither neither side was for gay marriage? Now, mm-hmm. the truth of that is that like, well, Barack Obama was for civil unions, for any don't ask, don't tell, and was for you know incremental progress. Um, but you know, you come up with these rationalizations mm-hmm. to justify your career, right, and what you want to do in your in your life. And like, that's the short answer for me, and it's something that I just I look back on and think that that was a really big fuck up. Um, but it's a central part of my book because it, I, I think that that's a it is a, the same trait that a lot of people who stayed in the party with Trump used, a lot of straight people, right, you know, who, who said, oh, I'm a Republican operative, I'm just going to put this, the, mm-hmm. the parts I don't like about Trump in this little box in my brain, and I'm going to rationalize it, I'm going to focus on the things that I do agree with. Yeah, so I, I, th- I think um, what you said is, is so true, but, it, but if it's any consolation, it does happen uh, across the board. If you're a real person of faith, Right. Can you really be a Republican these days? If you're a working class person, sure. can you be a Republican these days? You pointed out Obama. I remember being upset. Like, why can't he why can't he be for for same sex marriage? Why, why is he equivocating sure. on that? So it happens on both sides, too. And it's like, yeah. I think to me, the answer is we we all do things in a way that just we justify what we want to justify when we need to justify it, you know? Um, yeah, I think maybe it's a li- just a slightly bit different when you know that there's a party that just delegitimizes you as a human, and that's sort of like the yeah. you know that that was more of the confusion for me as to why anyone would be a Republican. But I think you've answered that question pretty pretty yeah, appropriately. No, I do think I also think that there's another the people who are still Republicans the kind of log cabin these days. This is now this is not me. This is sociologist Tim. You know, knowing a lot of gay Republicans. Sadly, and being one of the most visible gay Republicans, I think probably the most for I was for a while before I switched. I heard from a lot of closeted Republicans, mm-hmm. you know, naturally, right? Like they would message me. Um, Get out! I and, refuse to uh, believe right. there are closeted Republicans. I refuse yeah, to believe. I, that. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Especially at the Port Authority bus terminal. Yeah, but um, <laughs> the the thing is, though, 
there's kind of this other strand of the teal, the Peter Teal strand, which mm-hmm. really is kind of a there's an element of self-loathing to it, but there's an element of 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 disliking your social peers, right? Like like the, uh, of of being it's mostly white guys, mm-hmm. like and it's mostly gay men. It's not this is not really that relevant for people of color or lesbians, but it's like white guys who who don't feel part of the club of the like more progressive. They don't feel comfortable in kind of the progressive out gay community, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And so then they gain a resentment, like an interpersonal resentment mm-hmm. to them, right? And and that like being Republican for them is almost like in a weird way countercultural, right? Because like in their world, in the suburbs where they grew up in this in the in the 2000s, right? Like being gay was good. It was you know what I mean was mm-hmm. accepted, and and they they didn't feel accepted. And so they have they they built up this interpersonal resentment, and when I just that makes me sad actually, and and I see a lot of that now in your kind of Rick Grinnell, Peter Thiel type Republicans. Me and Rick just got into an argument in Arizona while I was there for the circus. That didn't make the that didn't make the cut for the show. The Bannon one did, but um, you know these guys um, really are driven by resentment of the elites uh, and of the kind of liberal you know, mono, the liberal kind of culture, um, that is dominant right now in, you know, mm-hmm. in, in movies and culture and, uh, and that I think, and so that, that feeling of, of personal angst towards, towards those other folks outweighs for them, which they should be mad about, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is that like Ben Shapiro still doesn't want gay people to be able to kiss on, on Disney <laughs> movies, <laughs> right? Like they, they put that in a little box in their brain. So this is, we can probably get Freud out here or some of your professional psychologists listening to, to, to give me the fancy words for what those people are doing. But that, that is the other, you know, kind of thing that I, I do mm-hmm. see as a common, mm-hmm. common trait. So let's talk about the circus for a second. It's my favorite show on TV. Uh, I think it's incredible. I love it from the the content to the hosting to the the stylized shooting of it. Just everything about it to me works. And you've been on uh, recently uh, two episodes, three episodes. And uh, I guess they're trying to experiment with, you know, Alex Wagner's departure and trying to figure out what they're going to do there. I mean, is that going to be more of a longer term gig for you? You know, I don't really know. Um, I agree. I, I don't think that they're really looking for a white guy to replace Alex Wagner. Um, but um, uh, <laughs> but one, with, so, one with pearls, though. <laughs> one with pearls. Yeah. You know, um, so I, I don't really know the answer to that. I agreed to do this season. They're going to have some people through, you know, a couple people through. So I agreed to do a couple episodes. I had the time of my life. It's so fun. I, it's un- the behind the scenes of this show is just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And I, I so I have to give the, them just totally effusive props for how they pull it off. Um, the amount of filming that they're doing, how quickly they turn it around, mm-hmm. you know, to have a show that is taping into Saturday and then airs Sunday night look that good. Crazy. I mean, it is, a, it is a marvel. And like the hours that those guys are working, I felt like I came in two weeks. It's an eight week season. I came in for two weeks and I felt like I was just a jolt of energy. I was just like the little cocaine bump that brought everything through because they're, those guys are tired. You know, like they're all, they're, it's a slog. Like they're working insane hours and I'm just coming in like, Hey guys, I'm ready. Like put me in coach. I want to yell at Steve Bannon. I'm only, I don't, you know, I only need to be here for four days. Like you guys need to work really hard. Um, so I, I'm just, I was so impressed with them and, and kind of thinking about the arc of it all. Um, and, and Heilman and Jen and, and, and McKinnon, uh, you know, the amount of kind of 
thinking that goes into it. It just, I, I don't I didn't, maybe you do, with, you have a different background than me. I just, I, as a consumer of it, I didn't appreciate it, right? Like how, like really the amount of work mm-hmm. that goes in to make it look as cool as it does and to turn it around as fast as it, as it does, as, as they do. So it was, it's awesome for me. I told them at the end, I was like, you just, if you need me for something, you just put me in coach. Um, because I, I was, I was having the time of my life doing it. And I, I think that they're trying to figure it out. Um, mm-hmm. There's also stuff that I don't re- know about behind, you know, all the streamers are merging and Paramount right. Showtime, you know, and this is all above my pay grade. I'm not a suit. So uh, I think that they're, they're all trying to figure that out. And then, you know, 2024, obviously, is there for the presidential year is, is an even more intensive season than 23. So mm-hmm. I, I think there's kind of some unknowns about that. That's a great show. I, I love this show so much that I, I do this thing with my daughter, which drives her crazy. But she's almost 19, but like I've been watching it for a few years. So like those, like a teenager at 16, 17, like they're so easy to get. You can push their buttons and because they're they're (laughs) so primed to like hate everything that comes out of your mouth. (laughs) So I pretend that I'm. I have a, my five-year-old loves everything that comes out of my mouth. So I hate the future that that you're painting for me. (laughs) Cherish those moments because in about (laughs) seven years. It's going to start. It's over. Yeah, it's over. Okay. But uh, so I pretend that I'm in the show. Like if my daughter is sitting with me when the show comes on, I'll be like, oh, hey, guys, you know, I'm here. You know, how's the food? And then she's like, you don't know these people and they don't know you. And I'm like, no, they do. I'm one of the. And I literally pretend like, so where are we, what are we doing today, guys? She goes, dad, they don't know who you are. They don't. <laughs> and it's like so stupid. But yet she's at that age where like she has to counter me everything that I say. But uh, I want to. The more talk- it bothers her, the more you do it. <laughs> of course. I, totally. You'll you'll get to know that too. <laughs> yeah, I, do. I I can already sense that I'll, that that'll be that, my, that kicks in at head. around fifteen. You're like, oh yeah, you know what? Two could play this fucking game, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so the Bannon interview, I gotta say, yeah. I, I mean, I am pretty critical of the media, as a lot of people are, and I think it's one of yeah. the reasons why the shows like like The Circus is successful and appeals to so many people. But I think if if you had literally punched him in the face, probably couldn't have even gotten any better than what you did. <laughs> um, well, I, I don't I don't pack a punch, so I'm, I don't <laughs> think that my my words was, was my was my best tool for that uh, encounter. Yeah. So the behind the scenes on that, I don't. I, I've known Bannon for a long time, mm-hmm. um, probably a decade, and. The thing about it is, so I found I was in Arizona for the circus, and and the other thing is they just have this huge the team that goes into you like you you think you're friends with Jen and and John and stuff pretending with <laughs> your mean? daughter. I am. There's like, there's I am friends. Like, with yeah, them. there's. I'm sorry. Yeah, there's like a hundred people behind the scenes. I, it's like a, more than a, people were on presidential announcement conference calls that I was on or on these things. I mean, like that just the, the staffing is, is is unreal. But anyway, I'm on one of these conference calls that day, and I'm like, hey, so we're in Arizona. We're gonna go to the Scary Lake event. I got a text from a friend that said that Bannon is there. Uh, and, and, I, and so I said to the people on the call, I was like, I, I think he would interview with us. Like, I, I know Bannon and he loves attention. And, you know, for whatever reason, I, I'm kind of, I feel gross saying this, but like, we've always had a rapport. Bannon is not like, for all these awful MAGA people, right? There are two kinds, right? You have your Dan Bonginos, who are as dumb as a fucking rock, right? <laughs> and, and just are too stupid to know any different. And then you have the Bannons, who are who all know that what they're doing is a grift, mm-hmm. you know, and who are smart and and who and who think that they're smarter than you, right? Like they mm-hmm. think they're pulling one over on you by by playing, you know, there's these master Svengali's, right? So mm-hmm. they're two kinds. 
the the Dan Bongino people have no no use for me and vice versa. The Bannon people, he kind of wants to spar with me, right? He wants to prove that he's smarter than me mm-hmm. and kind of reveal to me that he knows that he's full of shit. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. that he's getting away with it anyway, right? So it's it's a different kind of exchange. And I and I so I sense that. And so when I went back there, I was like, I'm just going to focus on that part of this, right? Which is like, I'm going to call him out to his face, right? And and I don't think that he can he can maintain a straight face and and defending his position because he wants me to know that mm-hmm. I know that he knows that I know that he knows that he's too you know too smart for, you know that he's that he's in on the joke, and so and so I just was like. And so I told those guys that I was like, we don't want to give him the attention that he wants. But if I can do this interview in a way that just exposes him as being full of shit, then I think it's worth it. And I was like, and if I fail, we can just hit the cutting room floor. And everybody, they all thought about it. And we're like, yeah, let's give it a try. Whatever. We can tape it. And, you know, if it's not good. It, we won't use it. And so that is like really what I focused on going behind the scenes, which was just trying to get two points, which was one strategically. It was stupid for him to be there. So it's not actually smart. He was hurting his own candidate, Carrie mm-hmm. Lake one and and that proved out to be true she lost basically because she went too far bannon um and two that he's full of shit on the election fraud stuff and on the on the fake wall and all that stuff and he knows he's full of shit and and i'm gonna expose the fact that he's full of shit and and i felt like it achieved both of those of those goals so i was happy to end up using it and it was great in the sense that it was so visceral and you know you you watch CNN, you watch MSNBC and you have these Republicans, they come on, they'll be like, the moon is made out of cheese. And the anchor goes, okay, do you have any evidence to back that? And you want them to scream like, what the fuck do you mean the moon is made out of cheese? It's the dumbest thing I ever, that's what you did with Bannon. You had the reaction. You know, the most important thing though (laughs) is not like, let's not fight over the, that was when I was thinking about this, I'm not going to get into him or that the details of the chain of custody of the ballots and the dominion boxes. I'm like, what is the point of all that? Like the point is that, you know, the moon's not made out of cheese and you're a fucking liar. Right. Right. And you're a fucking liar and you're, and, and, and there is actual harm that is being done by your lies. Like, People are in jail because of your lies. People are dead because of your lies. We, all, we, our capital was stormed because of your lies. So it's bullshit. You know it's bullshit, and 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 I'm just going to call you out on that. Like, and I don't want to. And I'm not, we're not going to let you try to, you know, kind of use fancy, you know, sort of Harvard debate club, mm-hmm. ret, you know, tricks to try to make it seem like it's defensible. It Did isn't. you have and, in, uh, in and, that moment when you were like, I, I can't do this. I can't, like. Yeah. Was that just completely reactionary in that moment? Like, I'm not suggesting that you were going to be like, okay, I'm going to yeah. interview him. And then at some point I'm going to say I'm done and I'm out of here. But it yeah, looked no. so genuine that like you were just so fucking fed up that you couldn't. You no, couldn't. it was. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, in my head, I, I went in saying, I'm not going to. The one thing I'm not going to do is let him like use this as a platform mm-hmm. to spread his bullshit. Right. And so I didn't exactly know how I was going to do that. Right. But in my head, as I'm doing the interview, I'm like, this is the key thing. Like, do not let him use this. So I wasn't sure if I was going to interrupt him, you know, and, and like stop and prevent him from doing it. But at some point I could just tell that I, that that wasn't going to be possible. Mm-hmm. Right. That like he was just going to try to steamroll me with 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 bullshit. And and so, um, you know, when he kept doing that is when I was just like, fuck this. No, it's over. And and what isn't shown on that is there are two, it happens twice actually, because we do the first part of the interview and, 
and he starts, and I forget which clip they used, and 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 he starts doing all this bullshit. And I was like, no, Bannon, no, I'm done. We're not going to do this. We're done. And then we start walking, and he, and he keeps arguing with me off camera. Like the cameras go oh, down, wow. and he keeps and he keeps arguing with me, and 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 I can't help myself because you know I just that's just my nature. Uh, so I start arguing with him back. And, then, and so then the camera guys are looking around. They're like, well, I guess we should take this. <laughs> and so the cameras come back on. And 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 then I do it again. You know, I got, you know, uh, where we go back and forth one more time about about how he about how he's full of shit. And um, and, and a second time he goes back to the stupid Dominion bat machines. And, I you know, I forget. Chain of custody is the one keyword mm-hmm. that kept being in my head that he's like this ballot. We didn't know that it went from so and so's hands to so and so's hands. So we don't know the gray area of what happened in between. And I'm just like, fuck this. No, no, this is not true. You know, it's not true. And we're and. And we're going to move on. And when we were off camera, one of the things that didn't get used was I, unfortunately, uh, I went at him on the my pillow thing, and I said to him, because <laughs> um, this was this was kind of during during the period between the two kind of things that were taped. We're walking, and he's like defending, him, and he's still trying to like prove to me that there could be something here. And I'm like, Bannon, I watch your fucking show, all right? I watch the crazy my pillow guy come on, and I can see your face. <laughs> that you know that it, that you know that he's crazy. I was, like, you know what I mean. And and then and then he starts going back and forth, and that's when the cameras turn back on. So they didn't have that, but like that was. I was like, I know that you know. Like I, you know, I've been. You have enough emotional intelligence to watch this thing. And if you and I punish myself with his show because it's important to know what the crazies are talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. Right? Like the board knows that. So I do at least. I try to do. I give myself one hour of homework a week of. Mm-hmm. Bannon or equivalent. So well, not, all you need. Not, not a yeah, not a little bit of conservative media, but like from Bannon into the crazy, like mm-hmm. somewhere in that space. And and you know, so I've seen the pillow dude, go, you know, go on his show, and and Bannon can't keep a straight face. You know what I mean? Like it's just he can't. It's it's, it's so Saturday. It's a Saturday Night Live skit. I mean, it's just yeah, exactly SNL imitating life. Um, I do want to talk about Trump in the midterms in a second, but I wanted to okay. ask you. You tweeted something uh, yesterday, maybe or middle of the night, whatever. You, you retweeted Alan Cross's bulwark. You were like, "Oh my God, what did I retweet?" <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I need to stop tweeting after three beers. I think it's just a general life lesson for everybody. But uh, okay, true. No, I know this tweet. This no, wasn't it, bad. it wasn't bad. It was uh, Alan Cross's piece in the Bulwark uh, called "The Diminishing Returns of Anti-Immigrant Rhetoric," and this is kind of a, a, a subject that's near and dear to, to my heart. I don't know how much you know about me or my story, but I, my late wife was uh, murdered in two thousand six. Uh, she was a filmmaker, Adrian Shelley. She did Waitress, which became a Broadway show. She was in all the Hal Hartley films, a lot of the Hal Hartley films. And her killer was an undocumented immigrant. And at the time, it was when Trump was doing all this angel mom shit. And, like, I was getting calls from, you know, Megyn Kelly and all the right-wingers to, like, be yeah. their liberal poster boy for anti-immigration. And I wrote a New York Times op-ed, uh, which you should check out if you want, because it seems like it's in somewhat of a lane of yours, in um, yeah. before two weeks before the election in 2016, because I wanted to present the other side of this, because it was it, the, the op-ed was called, My Wife Was Not Killed by an Illegal Alien. And basically, she was killed by a fucking killer. Okay, And it's interesting because the article, and I guess your own opinions, is that this immigration thing, this rhetoric that they have where, you know, brown and black people are bad, scary people, caravans, border crisis, et cetera, et cetera. It's kind of, it's not only just not what America, where America is at right now with immigration. It's just the opposite, 70% or 75% support 
you know, compassionate immigration reform. But it's kind of, it's causing the GOP to lose, right? Do you want to speak to that just for a bit? Yeah, sure. Uh, for starters, um, I, I do think that just takes unbelievable balls to do what you did, um, you know, and speaking out about that, right? And it's just, it'd be so easy to just not engage with these fuckers, you know, after a horrible situation like that. So uh, I just, I tip my cap to you on that front. Um, as far as the political power of this, there's still some political power, right? And I think that there's still some legit, some concerns about the border, some legitimate, some illegitimate. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that the Republicans take advantage of that, obviously, and prey on it and um, prey on people's fears uh, in a way that is bullshit a lot of times. Um, occasionally, if they ac- it accidentally overlaps with not bullshit, mm-hmm. um, legitimate concerns um, to be held, uh, particularly on, the, you know, kind of, I think, on the federal side of things. Um, and, but, um, the, the problem is that for a while, I think they felt like this was that the Trump proved that this was like a big silver bullet for them, mm-hmm. right. And that they could demonize immigrants and that that would help them politically, that there is this big swath in the middle of people who did not like, you know, the Democrats soft on immigration position and that they could win over these classic Obama Trump voters, the guys that the New York Times went to visit in the diners in Ohio, you know, by demagoguing immigrants. And and to an extent, they were kind of right, I, I think. Like there was some political purchase, some gain that could have been made by by going at hard on that issue, because there were some people that felt like they're unrepresented. Um, some of their again, some of their concerns, legitimate, some illegitimate. The problem is that Trump is so just absurd and ostentatious and over the top and, and their policies were so despicable, like the child separation policies mm-hmm. and, and their rhetoric is so despicable that what happened here is that they overshot, mm-hmm. you know, they got out way, they got too far out over their skis and they took an issue that might've been a winner for them in 2016. And, and now it's active. It's, it's not only not a winner, but I, it's actively harming them. So right. there are these ads that Stephen Miller was running, these citizens for sanity ads, you know, that just fear mongered all these sorts of situations like, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, you know, where an uh, undocumented immigrant killed somebody or whatever. And in the testing, they backfired. They backfired. People just don't want, like, uh, there's certain people that that appeals to, but in the broad middle of the country, the people that voted for Joe Biden, you know, suburban moms and dads who have their own lives, who wish the border would be secure, but also wish we had a sane immigration system. Mm-hmm. If they see you running ads being like, ooh, be scared of the scary brown people, mm-hmm. like that doesn't make them think that you should be in charge. That makes them think that you're a fucking asshole, right? right? Mm-hmm. And this is backfiring on them. And if you look at Arizona, is this prime example, which I spent all the time for the circus, so I, I just am very familiar with this. Those ads were everywhere. And, and, and if you look at what happened in the numbers, the most anti-immigrant candidate, um, candidate Blake Masters, um, got did the worst. A, a, a ballot initiative for un, for in-state tuition for undocumented immigrants passed mm-hmm. in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Carrie Lake loses. Generic Republican guy uh, run, or woman, excuse me, running for treasurer wins by ten. You know, so it's not just the immigration issue, right? Abortion is tied in there. Mm-hmm. Crazy stuff on mm-hmm. democracy, right? Mm-hmm. But like this extremism. Is just it isn't working for them, and 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 I thought that Alan's article, Alan Cross' article for the Bulwark, he he's been very deep into this. He's also he's an evangelical is an evangelical pastor and has like kind of worked in that community. It's like even among not all even right not the type of evangelicals that are showing up to the rallies in their hats, but you know your church going rank and file evangelical, even they're turned off, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it goes against their 
religious beliefs that goes again, you know, it, it, it cross pressures them. So I, anyway, I, I don't think that I don't want to be Pollyanna about this and say that, oh, the nativism is dead or whatever. But I, I think that they've reached a limit to how politically useful it can be. And, um, and have, have over overshot in the other direction. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Trump. Uh, but before I, we get serious, I want to know who's your favorite Trump impersonator. We talked about Matt Friend before, who I saw Ooh, live. I, think, uh, I saw live last week uh, in in the city. Uh, I think amazing. it's JL though. It's JL for me. JL Colvin. Have you seen his material? Yes. yes. Um, He's yeah, big on I th- Twitter. I think it's, yeah, I think it's got to be him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he just makes me laugh to argue. I think Matt probably gets the closest mm-hmm. to just like the absurdity of Trump's, <laughs> you know, kind of like sidebars. Like he's really good at that. But, uh, but Jay, excuse me, excuse me. You're nasty. <laughs> yeah. What about, uh, James Austin Johnson from SNL? Uh, okay. It's okay for me. Mm-hmm. Baldwin too out there too not. I Trumpy. thought Baldwin was pretty good. I thought mm-hmm. Baldwin was pretty good. He's just, he's, I love 30 rock. Mm-hmm. So my problem with that is like it's it's like it's sometimes I feel like he 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 veers into Jack Donaghy, <laughs> and I, and <laughs> that's I'm like, interesting. I don't I don't want to mix Jack Donaghy and Trump in my brain, right, you know. Right, right. Um, so uh, so I, I I have a negative you know personal reaction to that. So okay, so Trump running again. What do you make of all that? Um, I think he's I, I think two things are true. One is he's a favorite and should be taken seriously and it's a mm-hmm. real threat. He tried to end our democracy and we shouldn't just pretend like that's not possible, mm-hmm. that he couldn't win again. It's possible. Uh, and I think that, that you know, to, as of today, if you're in Vegas, you're, I, you'd put the best odds on Trump to win the Republican primary. Uh, at the same time, I think that he's about as weak politically as he's ever been mm-hmm. within the Republican coalition. Um, and uh, that is purely because of election results it's not over it's not because republicans have suddenly found their conscience you know uh or else this would have happened in january 2021 uh but the 2022 election i think he handled unbelievably poorly strategically uh for for managing his own coalition and uh maybe he's losing his fastball maybe he's in a bubble in a -a mar-a-lago cougar bubble and like doesn't (laughs) isn't getting good advice anymore maybe he's getting too old i don't know or maybe just the show is over. You know, mm-hmm. we're in season seven and people are getting sick of it. I, I don't exactly know what happened, but had he had he played the 2022 midterms better, had he not put his stink on all these losers, you know, had he just sat it out and, 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 and if the Republicans won, great. If they lost, blamed Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy and the rhino cucks and said that you need me to win and, I, and like Republicans can't win without me. He would have this thing on lock, I think. I, mm-hmm. Like there was a time in, in around August where I thought he had the twenty twenty four thing on lock, but but he just he can't help himself. He's a he's a megalomaniac. He stepped in his own shit. Mm-hmm. His attacks on DeSantis and Youngkin were very were not were out of tune with what everyone was like. Remember the whole McCain? I like people that aren't captured, and everybody's like he's done. Well, that was based on a belief that Republican voters cared about John McCain. They don't. Okay, so so Republican voters like Ron DeSantis. You know, if you if you we do focus groups for the bulwarks there along with a focus group pod. If you interview Republican primary base voters, they really like Ron DeSantis. They might like Trump mm-hmm. better, but they really like him. So their feelings are kind of hurt. They're like, what are you doing? Like, but the guy, thing with McCain, this isn't like fucking. Yeah, this isn't I would like counter the, the thing with McCain. I would counter though that I didn't see it as. Republican voters didn't care about McCain, but McCain represented the military. 
soldiering, you know, heroism, patriotism, that that yeah. I, I thought that Republicans who who claim to always care about that stuff more, way more than, lib, you know, weak liberals, yeah. like that would have pissed them off. Not McCain per se, but that that Trump was dissing veterans who gave, yeah. who, who sacrificed body for, for their country. And that didn't happen. Yeah. Turned out that was bullshit. Um, it turned out there was a lot of things that Republicans said they believed what was actually bullshit. Uh, spending. There we go. We, we could stop right now. We could stop right now. We could go down the list. Uh, we go down the list. This was this was one of the hardest things for me as in my conversion. I was just like, I always thought that we were at least. I realized that I disagreed with the Republicans' base on certain things. I always was a moderate squish. I got made fun of in all my campaigns for being a moderate squish. But I was like, at least on some of this stuff, I thought we were on the same page, you know, believing that America was a shining city on the hill, believing we should be fiscally responsible, believing we love our country and our mm -hmm. veterans and like that were no, no, no. It turns out all that was bullshit. Um, that really, that including abortion, you know, grievance. including abortion, because, you know, if Herschel Walker pays for it, then abortion's yeah. fine. Yeah. Killing babies is yeah, fine. Abortion is, yeah, abortion is legal no. uh, only for only for Republican candidates. Um, so so anyway, I, I think that he's weakened. For that reason, that he's weakened among his own people. Now, the question is how much, right? And can he recover that? And is Ron DeSantis skilled enough to take advantage of it? I, I, you know, there are a ton of questions. I, mm -hmm. I don't, I'm, Trump is not in his grave. We're not over him. That he is as politically vulnerable within the Republican Party as he's been since, maybe since he came down the escalator, really. I, I mean, I because it was only upward trajectory. If you just look at polls of Republicans, right? Not not the whole electorate, but mm -hmm. just Republican. You know, he came down the escalator. He was, you know, probably had 30 percent approval or something. It just went up, 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 up. You know, by the 2020 election, uh, it was at 90, you know, a 95 percent approval. He was getting Saddam Hussein like numbers with the Republican base. And then at January 6th, it dipped back down to like 80 percent. And I think it might be dipping down. We'll see as the numbers come out, but it might be dipping down more. So. I, he's he's still above where he was when mm -hmm. he started, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so it's not like we're, it's not like we've killed him yet, but uh, but, but but his numbers are dipping, and and I, that's encouraging. I think he's going to be indicted. So I want to know what you think it, it, how indictment might change that whole calculus, but also Garland appointing a special counsel. Will that change the timing of the indictment if it's coming, and how does all of that fare into? Yeah where Trump's going to be. I mean, we can all sit here today, and if you're on the left and the right, you're like, oh, Trump's running again, great. If you're on the left, oh, shit. He, but 30 days from now, 60 days from now, uh, six months from now, it could be an entirely different conversation from a legal for sure. standpoint. For sure. And, you know, you saw Barr. Um, yeah. I guess it was yesterday, said that, you know, even Bill Barr said that he thinks that the, that some, the charges have some legitimacy. I don't have the exact quote in front of me. So... Um, here's the thing. I, I, I like the way that you framed this. this is like uh, what Rami would have called a known unknown. Mm -hmm. Like we know that they're going to come for him. It's unknown what the reaction is going to be. We can all have theories. We saw what happened earlier this year. Um, Trump, when Trump's numbers were starting to weaken the first time, the the raid on Mar-a-Lago rallied base voters mm -hmm. to him. Right. Um, so would that happen again if he's indicted, or would would it just be another? Um, straw on the pile on the, on the camel's back. People just being like, God, we just I, I just can't deal with this guy anymore. Or, or would it be both? For some people, it might be another straw mm -hmm. and moving them towards DeSantis. Mm -hmm. For others, it might rally them towards Trump even more strong. Strong. 
I, I strongly. I think that um, DeSantis, it creates a huge tar pit for him, right? Which mm-hmm. is like, what do you do? Do you attack the FBI? Do you attack the DOJ? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that is going to totally, you know, put him in the MAGA wing that was just rejected in the midterms, you know? Or do you kind of say, Trump made some mistakes, and I, I think this is more evidence that we should move on from him and risk alienating the MAGA people and going into Mike Pence territory, where you have like where they want to hang you, right? I, <laughs> I, I, I think that yeah, I just think that it's a very it's a very complicated political environment for both Trump and DeSantis in the next year, uh, uh, particularly related to the investigations. And I just think anybody who's like coming onto a podcast in Thanksgiving of 2022 and be like, I know exactly how this will happen. It's full of shit. And maybe they'll get lucky and get it right, but um, but I, I just I, I think all we know is that it's going to be going to be messy mm-hmm. um, for them. And what is your biggest takeaway or takeaways from the midterms? Um, I, there's I noticed in the French election last year something that, that I that I had been keeping an eye on that I thought was potentially a, a trend that was a global trend. Better food. Because Trumps are everywhere. Yeah, these little men. Uh, that that's true. There are these mini Trumps everywhere, you know. And um, and it was that uh, Macron had like a thirty something percent approval, mm-hmm. and and everyone was worried that Le Pen was going to beat him, and he ends up beating her ass. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that a lot of people disapproved of Macron, but but just didn't want the crazy. Mm-hmm. I I I think that we the midterm showed that not as many people as we want. But a, we have a bare majority in the country of people who just are united and saying, no crazy, no crazy. Right. Like Republicans mm-hmm. can get pretty far, actually. If you look at Mike DeWine, he put in a very repressive abortion law in Ohio. Mm-hmm. I mean, the type of law that, the, you know, girls had to leave the state, mm-hmm. you know, um, young, girl, young girls um, had to get an abortion, right? And, and he kind of played footsie with Trump, but never went fully all the way there, mm-hmm. right? Like, never went all the way there on the anti-democracy stuff, never went there on the anti-immigrant rhetoric, never went there on the craziest stuff, the most fascist-sounding stuff. He wins huge. He mm-hmm. wins by 20% in Ohio. J.D. Vance only wins by 6, right? He out-pulled. So, so Republicans, if they want... If, are not capable of doing this, but if they wanted to, they could run pretty conservative and mm-hmm. tack back and probably win. Mm-hmm. But th- there's a there's a majority of people who's like no crazy, no fascism, no you know we need to protect the democracy. And and as long as Republicans get on the wrong side of that coalition, it's going to be tough for them to win mm-hmm. election. And, and so I, I think that is like my big takeaway from the midterms is that Democrats can't lose focus on that. And 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 within this coalition, you can do pretty progressive stuff. Look at what Biden did. Student it didn't mm-hmm. he did the student loan thing. It didn't mm-hmm. turn people out. Like you know, there you just you want to be careful. It's a fragile coalition. It's a big fragile coalition going from like socialists mm-hmm. all the way over to like some right. pretty conservative people in the atlanta suburbs you know who are like on balance i wish we could have reagan back but like joe biden is better than the lunatics mm-hmm. right and you got to keep that coalition together and, and i think that as long as the democrats do that and the republicans don't course correct then 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 we have kind of a stable majority for now yeah i i totally agree i think the the biggest takeaway for me was just the overall rebuking of the election deniers you know carrie lake and mastriano and blake master and, and and the taking the 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 existential crisis of democracy off the ledge like we don't feel like right. that's as big an issue anymore my last question sure. to you that's oh. just really quick a really big difference mm-hmm. i mean I, a lot of people are, you know some people are out there like oh tim you and the your new friends and the libs are <laughs> are going over the top with this you're so concerned democracy's fine you know us those of us who are the firefighters protecting this against this autocratic fire we don't exactly know what would have burned down but we know that this midterm we saved something because if carrie lake 
and Doug Mastriano and, and Tim Michaels mm-hmm. in, in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Arizona were the governors next time mm-hmm. in 2024. We don't know what they would have done. We don't know. And we're protected from that now. And, and they might be able to figure out other ways to undermine democracy. And there's there's more threats to come. Mm-hmm. But there, we we avoided a really big disaster. sure Evers and, 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 and Fetterman. So import- you know, Evers. Uh, yeah, Evers, Shapiro, and Katie I'm sorry, Holmes. Shapiro. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Now in these three swing states and Whitmer, but that one was really right. that close. But like now in these swing states, we know. They're not going to be able to fucking steal it. That's right. And that that's really important. It's huge. It's probably the biggest and most important thing to come out of the midterms. My last question, I know you're going to love this one. This is our second right. window into the soul question. Hopefully uh, it makes my soul sound better. <laughs> it's music. Music is a window yep. into someone's soul. And being that yep. I'm talking to a man who's wearing a Boo Boo Records shirt, <laughs> you, uh, you are instantly uh, an aficionado in my mind. So who's your top five musical artists of all time? All time? All time. Oh, man. Okay. Um, so I, I have to just start with my two favorite, right? So this is not, we're not judging, I'm not judging based on mm-hmm. musicianship, just mm-hmm. like the ones that, uh, so in in, uh, in college, what really got me into music was a band called Widespread Panic, a oh. jam band. Mm-hmm. And they had all of these influences of Southern rock and blues mm-hmm. and soul and it introduced me to jj kale and mm-hmm. all these other artists that i wouldn't have known that they that they covered um rl burnside um so so widespread panic is, is you know the fact that i'm wearing a record store t-shirt is widespread panic gets credit for uh, lcd sound system then was my mm-hmm. you know 20s band mm-hmm. and um they introduced me to all the indie rock world and um and all of the uh, all of the bands in that space so 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 widespread panic and lcd would probably be my one and two um i think lou reed Mm-hmm. And the Velvet Underground mm-hmm. would be number three for me. Um, the Velvet Underground and Nico is probably my number one record of all time. Um, and then I think that I have to do uh, a hip hop person, and it's really tough to pick who my favorite is. Um, because, Vanilla Ice. Uh, no, I mean it is it is such a it's such a tough it's such a tough battle. Um, I probably have to go with Kendrick, um, but um, okay. but. I, I love uh, th- there's a lot of different artists and then I need a gay pop uh, star and it's it's oof, it's a head to head battle between mm. Beyonce and Lady Gaga to represent the gay side of my duality of my is this not a duality my triad my triality um, <laughs> I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to go with um, I'm gonna have to go with Beyonce but it's tough I, it could mm. it could be you could you could have catch me with Gaga on another day so I would have yeah, gone so I would have gone with Mad- I would have gone old school with Madonna but that's just me Madonna pretty good Beyonce Kendrick Lou Reed LCD sound system and widespread panic. How's that? Gets great. I, I was in LA in 1983, my first job, and my boss, who was probably a year older than me, so he was like maybe 26, 25, and he, we were driving to a meeting, and he goes, I want to play something that, that, that we're all playing in the clubs now. He was gay. It still is. And, um, yeah. and he puts on like Borderline or something from Madonna, yeah. and he goes, oh, yeah. she is gonna be huge and i was like okay okay it's, it's great yeah, but it's, yeah and then like within like a year she exploded Madonna's and that's amazing. how she started she started in the gay clubs yeah yeah uh, um and disco and i mean i i do um that for uh, people uh, i have a 
my Spotify, I'm a big playlister. And so and I do a summer playlist that's like disco and old gay stuff and, and poppy stuff for people to, you know, play with their windows down mm-hmm. every summer. So, you so know, no, ta- um, no Taylor Swift in there anywhere? Taylor would be at the, my bottom five. So if you wanted to do a bottom five, <laughs> Let's, you know what? Um, That's genius. Taylor, Can we do that before they, you go? Can we do it? Because we've never done that, okay. and I love that idea. Who's your bottom five? Okay, so we got Taylor, Taylor Swift and, and Dave Matthews Band <laughs> oh, would be the two. So far, so jump, <laughs> jump right off the top of my head. Now, do you go to Fish uh, from Dave Matthews? Do you go to Fish? Um, I was so Pan, so widespread panic and Fish were natural rivals. Um, you know, because they were the two jam bands at the same time, mm-hmm. and so I'm happy to put Fish in there. Okay. Um, Blues though, Traveler. Uh, though, um, well, you know, I liked that one song about coffee and tea with the harmonica. That was okay. I don't think I know, knew enough of their bad stuff to uh, to know. Okay, um, I don't know. It's 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 hard for me to come up with. There's a lot of there's a lot of modern stuff that's pretty bad. I'm trying to think about like what is what's on what's on the top of the charts right now. Um, uh, or my Coachella, like my worst Coachella sets. Oh man, there's this. Oh, ah, my friends are gonna be so mad at me. We had to sit and watch this horrible Coachella set right before LCD sound system came on, and I'm blanking on the gal's name now. Okay, I'm sorry. Bottom two is Dave we'll, Matthews and, we'll, and Taylor we'll, Swift. We'll get you. We'll think about it next time. We will, yeah, we'll, think, we'll, we'll go yeah, through that. Yeah, I'll think about it, <laughs> and we can we can do it. We can do it on my my return my return appearance all right tim this i'm going to say this just to piss off my daughter i'll see you at the restaurant on sunday night with with the boys we'll and the it. girls uh, i'm looking forward to you know discussing what we're going to be covering next week so if you're out there listening right. i these guys are all my friends i'm on the show yeah um, yeah maybe we'll be taping it from your little what did you say you own up there a salumeria <laughs> it's no it's <laughs> that uh, that's cool no it's a store called the epicurean which i don't own yeah. i actually am a partner in a candy store here in town called samuel's okay. okay. samuel's sweet right, com. Uh, there's the a shameless store, plug. Uh, I will we'll, we'll be we'll be coming to the candy store in season eight of the circus. All right, uh, just 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 to troll your daughter. <laughs> Tim, you've been amazing. This has been a lot of fun. I hope you come back Thanks, and uh, have a great Appreciate holiday. It, Thank you, brother. So there you have it, episode twenty six in the can. We'd love to hear your thoughts. So leave us a message at eight four five three zero seven seven four four six. Email us at backroomandy at gmail or tweet to me at Andy Ostroy. And please leave a review if you like our podcast. Those things are important. I want to thank my co-producer, engineer, and editor, Maddie Rosenberg, associate producer, Jen Hamoud, Cricket Langell for our artwork, Andy Hollander for our kick-ass music, Patricia Wynn and the Epicurean for the Backroom Studio, and a big thank you again to our really funny, awesome guest, Tim Miller. And I uh, just want to say I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And... Um, Just keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards. And we hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.